Hello friends, Women's Health Australia editor Lisa Gebulagen here. Today on Uninterrupted, we are featuring an episode from the Rach Active podcast, where Rach interviews me about all things health and wellness. Oh yeah, and about that time I got into a mixed martial arts cage fight with no prior fighting experience, just so I could face my fears. I hope you enjoy it and thank you. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Oh, and like spoiler alert, I was choked out in the first round. I got accidentally kneed in the face. My eyes internally bled. My whole family and friends are there. But you know what? It felt it was like such an awesome experience because it was the first time ever in my life that I truly backed myself and did something that was for me, not for not what my parents thought I should be doing, not what my friends thought I should be doing. And for that, I would probably have done it again, even knowing all these things in hindsight. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Rach Active podcast. We're bringing you insightful conversations to help you live an active and inspired life. So make sure you hit subscribe so that you get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. I'm your host, Rachel Jay, and I'm so excited to welcome my guest to the show today. She is the editor-in-chief at Women's Health Magazine Australia. She's also worked at other major media outlets such as Body and Soul, Women's Fitness, Cleo and Dolly Magazine, and so many more. Welcome to the show, Lisa Gebelagen. Thank you so much, Rach. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on the show. And I know like we sort of had teed this up. I mean, originally it was like last year. So I'm so glad that we got to finally get a time to sit down and chat. Yes, and me too. We've got so many common passions, I feel like, health and fitness, obviously, boxing mm-hmm. and being word nerds as well, you know, working in, in media and comms. So I'm really interested to know generally what I found with anyone that sort of works in this space, health and fitness or working in that realm, something usually has happened to them or they've gone through something to bring them to this kind of work. So I'm really interested to know if there was a personal journey for you that led you into finding this passion for health and fitness. Well, for me, it basically started when I was a little girl because my mum, she used to do, you know, that she used to do Jane Fonda aerobics videos. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so my earliest memories are of being in a lounge room with my mum early in the morning. It felt like early in the morning, but I don't, it was probably like seven o'clock back then. And there on the screen is Jane Fonda and her leotard and her big blonde buffed up hair doing exercise. And I just always saw my mom doing it. And I think from there, that's what really instilled that it was just a part of life. Yeah, and right. it's been that way, yeah, since since I was little. So in in school, um, I also did karate. Um, and I think that really stemmed from the love of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So I'm not just a nerd nerd. I think I'm just a nerd. In a general. nerd in general? <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. <laughs> yeah, so I did karate during high school. And then in my 20s, I I never was someone who liked the weight section of a gym. I just never understood it back then. It wasn't until I started doing MMA and boxing that I ended up really falling in love with weights. But back then it was all about like, body combat classes where I just imagined that I was Buffy kicking vampires butts. I'm like, (laughs) total nerd. I guess for me, fitness is always something that 
I wanted to enjoy. It was never something that was, um, you know, a lot of people have this relationship to exercise where it almost becomes something that's like painful or a duty or something that they have to do and absolutely hate. For me, it was never like that. That's so good. It's so good that you came to a finding joy, but also still finding joy. I think for me, sometimes I I find it because it's my profession. Yeah. To be able to have that for yourself, to find the joy in those kind of movement practices is so cool and so great that you're able to incorporate things that you imagine. I, I love that you've got that correlation between Buffy and, and then <laughs> sort of thinking that like, I'm going to go, you know, go go to a combat class and I'm going to be Buffy, I guess, which is really, really cool. So obviously, like you just mentioned, we've got this, this common um, love for boxing and you also with MMA. And one of the things that I've noticed with talking to a lot of people in, in the boxing gym is that they have come to the sport because they've gone through something. Usually there's something that's that's challenging that's gone on in their lives. So I'm curious to know whether that was, that was something that factored into you getting into boxing. Well, for me, it was more so that it's a very, very long story, but um, my uncle passed away and he passed oh. away quite young. And I think at the time... Um, you know, you, you always think of death as a concept and not really something that happens to us or our loved ones. And it was the first big death that I experienced in my family at, as an adult. And it made me realize that one, life is actually pretty short and precious and that we don't know when we are going to die. And two, that I was living a life that I did not want to live. Wow. That's huge. Yeah, it was, it was around the time of my, I think just before my 30th birthday. So at the time I was working for Clio magazine, um, back back in the heyday when mags were massive and uh, there was Clio Bachelor Year, like it was a really fun job, but I knew it just wasn't exactly what I wanted to be doing in my life. And my uncle going through this and, and it made me realize that I was too scared to live the life that I truly wanted to live. Mm. And instead of going after these things that I wanted to do, I was living a smaller life because it just felt safe, you know? And so when this happened, I decided that every day for a year, I was going to do one thing that scared me. Like, and it could have been like really small, like getting lost during my lunch break around the city or really big, like, uh, skydiving, jumping out of, yeah, jumping out of a helicopter. So after this year of of tackling little things that scared me, little to big things that scared me, I realized a lot of things that are in our head are so much bigger in our head than they are in reality. And when I got to the end of this year, I was like, what is a thing that has always scared me that I've never done? And for me, it was sparring. Oh, yes understandably. (laughs) And so for people who don't know what sparring is, it's like that's where you practice the actual fighting. So if you're boxing, you're actually hitting each other. It's a contact practice of the sport. And when I did karate, back then you were just like punching the air. There was no contact at all. So I was like, okay, sparring is a thing that I'm scared of. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to have an MMA fight. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Looking back, I'm thinking, what? was I thinking but what I was thinking was this doing an MMA fight getting in that cage is the absolute scariest thing that I could possibly do there'll be nothing ever in my life as scary as someone trying to rip my head off in a cage no career dramas no relationship dramas nothing will compare and if I can do that I can do anything and so 
that's how I ended up having an MMA fight with no sparring experience. Seven months of training. <laughs> what? No sparring experience? And you jumped in the cage? That's insane. Oh I my know. Goodness. And I don't recommend it to people <laughs> <laughs> at all. But and then even during my training period, I didn't have a I didn't get enough sparring to then fight someone who had already had, I think she had three, two or three um professional fights. So they're like what? I know. Like there's so much in hindsight that was wrong with this whole scenario. <laughs> Hindsight's such a beautiful thing. It isn't is. It? <laughs> it is. But you know what? I would not take it back for anything. Oh, uh, and like spoiler alert, I was choked out in the first round. I got accidentally kneed in the face. My eyes internally bled. My whole family and friends are there. But you know what? It felt, it was like such an awesome experience because it was the first time ever in my life that I truly backed myself and did something that was for me, not for, not what my parents thought I should be doing, not what my friends thought I should be doing. And for that, I would probably have done it again, even knowing all these things in hindsight. Oh my goodness. I cannot believe that this is insane. Guys, if you, oh, I just can't even wrap my head around the fact that you hadn't had any sparring experience and, and got in that cage. Like to, to even think about stepping in that cage with sparring experience, I feel like is terrifying, right? Yeah. So this is, this is so cool. This, this story is so amazing. And like you've done, so that was the first, and that was your MMA fight, but then yeah. you've also gone into boxing and you've fought and amateur boxing as well. Yeah. So tell me about that. Tell me about your journey with, I guess, going from that experience, <laughs> the fact that you could get up again and then even get back into the ring and, and fight again. What was that What was that journey then like into boxing? Well, the, my boxing coach in, as part of that whole MMA experience, he was my, he was my favorite coach and I learned so much from him. And I discovered that I was so much better at stand up than any grappling work. Mm. Brazilian jiu-jitsu did not compete in my head. There was a lot of, <laughs> a lot of mounting and rolling and things I didn't understand. No wonder I got choked out <laughs> by someone who knew jiu-jitsu really well. So I continued trading boxing and because there are a few people other women at my gym who also fell in love with boxing and started fighting, it just became this great atmosphere where we were all like, we became a team basically, and we were working together to build each other up. Um, and so then since then, I've had, I think, 16 amateur boxing fights. And in that time, I've also represented New South Wales at the national titles um, and the world um, boxing qualifiers as well, and the Arafura Games. And so it has been amazing. And I was doing this while I was also working at Women's Health as deputy editor. So I'd be training first thing in the morning and then again in the afternoons after work. Um, so it was, a, it was a lot to juggle. Yeah. And it's really interesting though because we do a lot of work on women in sport with women's health. And while a lot of the male athletes get a lot of money into their sports, a lot of the female athletes do have to work full-time jobs to fund their, their sporting careers, which is really sad. It's, it's so sad. It's so incredible that that kind of inequality still exists, I feel like, you know, the pay gap and especially with sport. So what's, I guess, we'll just have a little tangent off here. Yeah. Um, 
Have you found that that's the case with speaking to a lot of athletes and things in different sports? Yeah, it is definitely. Um, So you have a lot of players who will be part of uh, paid leagues who then are just nurses during their day, for example. It's getting better. So, for example, in some sports like surfing, you do have that pay equality, but that is more the, it's not, it's not, it's not the case everywhere at the moment. Yeah, it's not the norm. No, it's not the norm. Yeah, which it's um, unfortunate, but I hope, like, it sounds like things are changing, but it still is, it's one of those things that's good that, you know, especially women's health highlighting women in sport and giving, you know, that a platform more so because, you know, we have to celebrate women doing amazing things in that arena, which is traditionally known as a, a male dominated arena sport yeah. and, and kind of physical, physical stuff, I guess. I mean, one great example of this is uh, there was a recent world boxing championship title in the US. The girl who was the champion she had had only world champion she had only just resigned from her full-time job at the bank there is no way that with the male professional boxers that they would get to that world championship level level and still be working full-time that's insane that is so insane and I I mean how do you think that that's going to change like how do you think that that will shift is it just more an interest in women in sport in general in terms of audience um, and spectatorship I guess yeah definitely and building up that awareness so that's why we do that's why we have our annual women in sport awards as well to also shine the light on our athletes and then also it's good that um, sponsorship is key and a lot of brands are realizing the value in supporting and marketing these athletes so the only way is up. The only way is up. And yes, we will drop the links because I know the um, women in sport, you guys do Women's Health is doing awards. So make sure you check it out, guys. We'll drop that in the show notes. But I do want to come back to your uh, boxing journey because I know for me, boxing is, is really mentally and physically challenging. It's not mm-hmm. only physically challenging, but also mentally. Obviously, you had like a hot crash course going straight into that <laughs> MMA cage that most people don't when they, they do boxing. But I guess I'm interested to know what the most challenging thing is mentally and physically about your prep when you go into a fight because obviously there's, for people listening, there's a, a camp that you go through prior to you getting into the ring. So what is it for you that's most challenging in both of those areas, mentally and physically? Mentally, it's definitely controlling your emotions mm. in the ring because when you're fighting, Uh, different boxers have different approaches, but I've come to realize that I fight best when I'm clear headed. And I can, so that way for me, because boxing is like almost like a physical chess game where you hit people (laughs) in the head. (laughs) And you can see more opportunities and you can suck more punches when you're clear headed. But when you're super, super emotional and angry, um, it doesn't happen that way. So it's almost, you can say meditative being in the ring because you you have to be in the moment. Like if you are not in the moment, you are basically punched screwed. in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I learned this a lot by sparring my husband. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So my husband is a lot taller than me, a lot bigger than me, and it's funny when he. It, I don't think it's fair when we get in the ring because. He obviously, obviously he has a sizing <laughs> advantage. So he can, he can like, he can get me all day. And I'm like, this is not fair. And then he'd be like, 
I'm teaching you how to uh, calm your emotions. I'm like, oh! (laughs) (laughs) But yes, that I think is the hardest thing. And especially if you're fighting big fights, like it's also that pressure that you have, self-imposed pressure, but then your coach and your team and you don't want to let people down. Um, That is something that is hard to hard to control. Mm. How do you control it then? Because obviously you've gone back 16 times to fight. So you have you got a practice that you've learned to, or like rituals that you do prior to stepping into the ring to just kind of get yourself into that meditative state? Um, I meditate beforehand nice. just to clear my head, just using a guided meditation. My favorite app is this one called Insight Timer. That's great. And then just actually not thinking about the fight, if that makes sense. Mm. Listening to music, joking around and dancing. I feel like the more relaxed I am, the better Mm. I fight. Yeah, that's really cool. That's so good to kind of understand your thought process and and those kinds of things that you need to do before you step into the ring. Yeah. I'm I'm also really curious to know what is the biggest thing you've learned about yourself overall from doing boxing or MMA? Ooh, that's a good question. I think the biggest lesson that I've learned about myself is that I'm resilient. And because it can it is quite emotional being a part of a sport like boxing, because unlike other team sports, it's like it's you in the ring and it and it's all on you. So losses can be quite hard. Um and learning to come back from those is such a great skill. Um, I think, and I think that's what I've learned, resilience. Uh, and then also that nothing is as scary, as I said, as being in a cage, um, having someone trying to rip your head off. So then if I can do that, I can do anything. And I find that also being able to learn how to be calm in the ring in that kind of situation really helps, say, in other work situations as well. Or um, when, if I need to have a hard conversation with someone, just being able to stay centred and not overly um, run away with emotions, it's it really helps. Yeah. I mean, I think that that first experience, that MMA, like that MMA fight just is, it's so incomparable to anything now, I, I suppose. Like it's such a good thing that you can take and go, well, I got through that. So, you know, <laughs> whatever I'm going to do now is just going to be like really easy <laughs> compared to that. I'm just so, like that still sticks in my mind. Now you've mentioned a boxer called Eileen Olszewski, actually, who I've, I've seen in your work that you've mentioned um, in your writing. And She's been quite an inspiration to you. So I'm a little bit interested to know about about her and why she's so inspiring to you. Well, the reason I came across her, I think I was Googling something like oldest female boxer champion, something like that. And she came up. And the cool thing about her is that she turned pro, became a pro boxer at 38, which seems like, which is an older age in in sport in general. And then Mm. at 45, she became the first, like the oldest world champion at flyweight, which is cool. And at the time I was in my early 30s thinking I was too old to pursue boxing in any Mm. serious way. And then coming across her made me realise, you know what, it's actually possible. Who cares how old I am? I'm just going to get in there and give it a go and see where it takes me. And I, I just love the sport. So 
Yeah, it's so good. I, I love it when you find those kind of cool people that really inspire you to to show you that that it's possible, right? They're really important, those kind of people that you find. So one thing that I really love about well, – this is something that we have in common. One, one thing I love about being in the media and, and doing this kind of work is that you get to speak to a lot of interesting people and you get yeah. to learn from their stories and their journeys. And, you know, you've been in the media for such a long time and I'm sure you've interviewed so many people. So I'm really curious to know who has been the most interesting person that you've interviewed so far and – what did you learn from them? Ooh, most interesting person. Can I tell you the person who I fangirled the most over? Who? Tell me. <laughs> um, <laughs> UFC fighter Ronda Rousey. Oh, yes, of course. Holy yes. moly. So at the time she was in Sydney to promote her upcoming Melbourne fight against Holly Holm, who ended up um, beating her. But this is when Ronda Rousey was at the peak of her game. She dominated the USC bantamweight category for years and years and years and years. And it was because of her that I, she was the first person, she was the first woman who I saw who was still quite feminine, but then also mm-hmm. a fighter who also, when we talk about seeing people who make you realize that you can do things differently, Ronda Rousey was one of those. Yeah. And so to be able to meet her in person uh, was, I, I I was not professional at all. <laughs> Were you like, I need your autograph and can you sign this as well? <laughs> well, I got, I got told beforehand that she would not be signing anything and no photos. I was like, oh, okay, fine. But I was so nervous during that chat. And then afterwards, she, because she ended up, the UFC rep told them about my MMA fight. At the end of the chat, she's like, you look like you need a hug. And I was like, okay. So she, so she hugged me and then we had a photo and it was a career highlight. And the cool thing that I learned from her is, um, and I'm paraphrasing, but she basically said that to live a really cool life, you have to be willing to get your heart broken. And it was, again, oh. in that it really emphasised, you know, my year of taking on fears and just stepping out of my comfort zone. Um, And that piece of advice is something that I always think about. Yeah, I really, really like that. And it is an interesting, I guess, quote or like paraphrase because I have not really heard it phrased that way before. But I suppose it, like you said, it just links back to getting out of your comfort zone and and being able to step out of that fear that stops so many of us doing things that we truly want to do. That's really cool. That's a great lesson to have learned from a a guest. Have you noticed anything that's been a commonality perhaps or a big thing that you've learned from talking to so many people? Is there something that you've noticed that I guess everybody has in common? Have you noticed that at all? Yeah, I think the thing that I've noticed is that they don't subscribe to what the majority of people think life should look like. They have an idea of what they want to do or want to achieve or how they want to create their life and they go after it. They don't necessarily care what the, the society standards are. Yeah, what people think and what what the cultural norm should yeah. be, I guess. Yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating. I love that. Now, one of the other things, obviously being the editor-in-chief at Women's Health, you've, you you know, will have come across all of the things in health and fitness yeah. because you have to, right? And yeah. so I am so interested to know what 
your predictions are for the top trends in health and fitness this year? <laughs> the top <laughs> trends? Crystal balling. I can tell you a few really quirky trends that are Yeah, tell up. me. So the most interesting one I've come across lately is AI-enhanced vibrators, which... What is that? That they help you track your orgasms. So there's a company... I know. Um, <laughs> it does not sound I don't even think it's something that's a good thing too because a lot of sex experts say that orgasm isn't supposed to be the goal of sex of a healthy sex life it's it can be part of it but you can also have a healthy healthy sex life without the orgasm so I don't know about how tracking orgasm is a good thing but that is one interesting trend that we've come across Okay, you're going to have to send me the link to that so we can pop that in the show notes for <laughs> yeah. everyone. <laughs> I will send you that link. Yeah. Um, oh, that's so fascinating. What else? What other things are there? So um, one thing, so are you working from home at the moment? Yeah. Yes. And I think that most people will, a lot of people will continue to work from home as well this year or go on and off from being in the office working from home. So another big trend is something called phone muting, which is, fake commuting so basically it's the idea that we need to kind of add some structure in our days so to create that boundary between being in the office and then not working turning off and not working so um this university college london professor is recommending say like bookending your work days like with 15 20 minutes say you go out for a walk or a cycle or an ex- exercising basically the time you would be spending commuting, doing something active to help you physically turn off for the day. Yeah, I love that actually. I think I have also spoken to a lot of people where during the lockdowns, especially they struggled where they couldn't, where they weren't able to go anywhere. Um, I know a lot of people are still working from home and will continue to do for the rest of the year, I imagine, at least part of the time. But I love that because it does, even if you, yeah, like you said, go for a walk or something like that. Firstly, it gets your movement in. So that's great. But then just to, just to mentally switch into a different state. Cause if you are working in the same area, for example, where you are supposed to have your leisure time or just, you know, relax time, sometimes it feels like you're just in the same spot the whole time. So just to like mentally shift out of that state, I think is really cool. Exactly. And because some studies show that a lot of people are just overworking while they're working from home because they aren't creating those boundaries, which is why I really like this phone muting trend. I know. I I really like that as well. That's so cool. Obviously, being editor-in-chief, Women's Health, this has just happened. You've taken over from Jackie Mooney. Now, one of the things that I have noticed, obviously, um, being in the media space, entertainment space, is that diversity and inclusion is a huge topic. And with front-facing roles in entertainment, this is becoming a a bigger thing. You know, we're seeing more faces that aren't necessarily um, Caucasian, Mm. which is amazing. So, I am interested to know how you f- you feel about the landscape of media shifting because it's one thing, it, it's so cool to see that an editor of a big, major, you know, Australian mainstream media outlet is of Asian descent, which is you. That's you, right? Mm, yeah. Is this, a, this is the first time? In pro- probably since the 80s or 90s. And so there was Marina Go who was editor of Dolly Magazine back then. Right. But then since then... And in my, all my career, I haven't known of any other editors of Asian descent for mainstream media brands. 
which blows my mind. And I remember one time I was speaking to the hosts of SBS Filipino Radio, so my background is Filipino, and we were talking about one of my colleagues who was deputy editor of Clio back in the day. And he asked me how she was doing and I was just telling him where she was working at now and he's like, so she's not editor? And I'm like, no. And he's like, oh, they never they never promote, they never pro, they'll never promote a Filipina. I was like, oh, uh, I don't know how I feel about that because it never occurred to me yes. to notice until that comment. And then when he said that, I looked around thinking, oh, yes, I see what he means. The, the people in charge of these brands aren't necessarily, there, there's, there's, there wasn't any diversity um, and even back when I was working at one of the big titles before, that's now def- now now gone. They never really liked putting people of different cultures on the cover because they yeah. just assumed that they were just the reasoning from management is like they just don't sell, which is yes. insane. So yes. ever since I've become editor of Women's Health, I've been making sure that our, there's more inclusivity whether that be like with different abilities as well include and different um different cultures even like inclusivity when it comes to fitness because I feel like sometimes the industry has one idea of what being fit and healthy looks like and it's not the same for everyone and making sure that no matter what your goals are that you can find the information that you need for women's health inclusivity is so so important for me especially growing up in a very Caucasian um, city, it's... It's important. It's very important, I think, to have firstly you at the helm of such a major outlet. Like you said, these are things that probably, if you've never experienced it before, you may not notice it. But, you know, we have in Australia, there is such... Our society is obviously predominantly Caucasian, but we have so many cultures that live in this country. And... I'm the same as you. Like when you grow up, when you when you flick through magazines or you watch your favorite shows, Australian television shows, and not seeing yourself represented yeah. in those images, you do notice. You yeah. notice, and and then you think like, oh, so that's not really. I mean. I don't know if you really think about it any differently when you're a kid. You just sort of think, well, I'm a kid and you'd like to do that. And then I think as you get older, you just sort of think, well, no one really looks like me on a magazine, on a cover, or no one looks like me on television. And so I think representation is hugely important. And it's so, I think it's so lovely to see that it's part of, I guess, the future narrative and messaging of women's health, because we get to see then more, you know, different faces, different body types, yeah, different everything, you know. Exactly. And yeah, that's really, really cool. Have you noticed that just in the industry in general, in the media in general, that it is shifting or do you think it's still a quite a slow burn on, on this particular subject? I think it's definitely shifting, especially in digital media and mm. say with the launch of Refinery29. Um, but then you look at say mainstream TV. And I feel like that might be quite a slow burner. Yes. 
Yeah. That's it. I think, I mean, prior to me doing all my health and fitness work, I was an actor. And so that definitely, I th- it is definitely shifting, but I mean, it's a very slow shift. You yeah. Know? Like you can maybe see like one or two different faces on television. So it, I mean, it is good to see that it's shifting, but you know, I'm just so happy that you are at the helm and you, you know, have Asian descent and we can now be able to, because that's where it begins. It begins at the top, right? And mm-hmm. so we really need to see even more uh, voices of different backgrounds to be able to have a platform to share their stories as well so that we can all feel like we feel represented or like can connect with the stories that we're seeing in, in all the publications and things like that. So, yeah, it's very, Absolutely. Very cool. And that's why it's great that you're doing what you're doing too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> well, I think it's, I think like you, I've, I've always felt like I don't feel any different. Like I just, did, did you grow up in Australia as in, were you born in Australia? Yeah. Born, yeah. born and raised in Australia. And I didn't really notice how um, non-diverse our media was until I, went to live in Toronto in Canada for a year and saw how diverse the media was there. And I was like, oh, okay, I see I see the difference now. So it's just Australia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, it's, it's so fascinating because you, I think when you grow up here and you, you have Asian descent, but you've You've bought. You've been born into Australia. You've been born into Western culture. Been born into Australian culture. You just feel like you're an Aussie kid, really. Yeah. It's just that you look. You look different than most people. So I mean, yeah. I just think it's so cool. I just think it's so amazing that you're you've got this role. And so I'm so excited to see all the cool stuff that women's health is going to be bringing out. Um, now, one of the other things that is, that is really cool that you do is produce and host a podcast called um, "Holy Shit, I'm Pregnant," which I love. <laughs> love the title. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm interested to unpack some of these things that you've learned, not only through your own journey, because you're a new mum too, but also having spoken to people on your podcast. So what's the biggest, what are the biggest changes that you've noticed to your own body? Because I know this is something that you talk about to your own body after having a baby. Oh God. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's about, it's a massive relationship change to your body. Um, and especially for someone who has always been so active and for me, physical activity was very much linked to mental wellbeing. Uh, for me, it's a way of like getting rid of stress. And if, even if I don't have a consistent meditation practice for me, exercise is like a moving meditation for me. So going from being super active and then towards the end of my pregnancy, not being able to move around properly as much. And then I ended up having a cesarean um, and I basically couldn't walk properly for about four four or five weeks. And so that was quite difficult for me. Um, And it's almost like in that time, your body isn't necessarily yours anymore because you become a provider for this baby. It's just a different relationship it's a different shift in identity Mm. uh, Mm. a different shift in the relationship with your body I find that now as I as my baby's now she just turned one um I'm able I feel like I'm getting my body back again and that it's that it's mine but it also means like when it came to fitness really scaling back everything and then just starting with the foundations again so for a long time, I was doing Pilates and not any kind of fancy reformer Pilates, just 
trying to strengthen my pelvic floor. And that's, yes. that was the extent. And again, for someone who's so used to really intense exercise, so even before boxing, I was into Bikram yoga and doing that every day. So it, it, it was about teaching myself to build on those foundations and being okay with that. Yes. I think that's a big thing, isn't it? Is, is also as women too, you know, we go through, obviously, even if you don't have a child, but we go through that monthly cycle where our bodies are changing mm. all the time. Uh, but we live in a world and a culture where it, we are always like, go, go, go. We want to be, and you know, it's awesome to do those intense workouts, and, but sometimes feeling the pressure that we have to keep doing that, even if our body is not in a state that it should be doing that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, this is why I absolutely, have you ever used a whip band? No, what's a whip band? Whip is, it basically tells you if you, it's a, it's a tracker, but. Oh, a tracker. Yeah. It's very different to say a, like a fitness, uh, a watch because there's no watch face on it. It tells you if you've basically worked out too hard and you need to rest. Oh, wow. And it tells you when your peak um, days are, when you've rested it, recovered enough. Um, I was using that when I was boxing because I had a, I have a tendency to overtrain. Uh, yes. And so I needed that external reminder to tell me, um, yeah, you need to rest. <laughs> yeah, right. That sounds like a really, we'll also get that link and pop that in the show notes as well. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I think like it's, I think it's difficult. Like I know that, you know, sometimes your body will tell you, but sometimes you want to, you want to keep going. If you feel like you're okay, you want to keep going. So um, that's, that's really fascinating. And you also then just then touched on this shift in your identity, I guess, and even like the perception of yourself really. So was there a process of having to mourn the person you were pre-baby? Because now, you know, you have a baby and you, you you know, this baby's reliant on you. And um, has there been a, you know, sort of that big shift and difference in how you see yourself as a woman? Yeah, there has been. But what was good in helping me prepare for this because when I was pregnant, I was really worried that I would totally lose my identity of who I was. And I would just, and not that there is anything wrong with this, but for me, just being a mum wasn't, it, it, it didn't feel like it was me as a whole. Mm. And so this is why I did this podcast, Holy Shit, I'm Pregnant, because that's <laughs> basically the reaction I had when I realised I was pregnant and I was made redundant in the same week and oh it was just too much. Um, but, yeah, this is why I did the podcast and I wanted to talk to other women who I knew were, who had that kind of, um, the kind of life that I wanted to live as a mum, still have their own interests and pursuits but then also be awesome mums. One of the people I interviewed, Caitlin Cady, she's a meditation teacher. She was saying it's rather than like shedding your old self, it's more like it's you 2.0. It's you become expanded. Yeah. yeah. So you're all these things that you were before, but you're also a mum. And I quite love that. And that's how I feel today. I really love that. That's like changing the framework on how you perceive yourself then it kind of takes away the fear, right, of instead of thinking about what you will lose, yeah, thinking about what you're going to gain. Oh, I really like that. That's a really great perception shift. Now, the other thing that I think, you know, you kind of touch on too is like things that change in terms of your relationships, like with your partner, with your friends and all of that kind of stuff. How have you navigated those shifts and those changes? 
again, this was really good chatting to all these people for my podcast because I just learned from them. So yeah. this is uh, one of my friends, Josie. She was saying that her and her partner, they kind of considered themselves like um, a, basically a superhero duo where they were working together to raise this human and they knew that their relationship was going to take a backseat for a couple of years, but that was okay because it's just a different phase of your life. And so that was a great piece of advice that mm. I've taken into this first year of parenthood. There's obviously so many times where you're so tired and it's just a different kind of relationship too, where instead of you and your partner coming first, this baby who has needs that need to be taken care of right away comes first. And we've just worked really to really well together to mm. make sure that we have this happy, this happy little human. Um, but then every once in a while, we will go out together just the two of us. And my mum or my mother-in-law will look after our bub so that we still make sure that we are trying to spending time together. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. I think it's 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 such a fascinating. I'm not a mum, so I don't know these things. So it's really interesting to me to hear it, you know, because I know obviously when you look ahead, uh, for me, you know, I think yeah, how is life going to be different? And all those things that you've talked about there, I think so many women think about, and maybe it's not spoken about that openly in a, in a um, I guess open conversation about these ideas about losing your identity and and you know, how are things going to change for you? Um, because it is so different for women as opposed to men as well. It's a, a totally different experience, right? Um, now, one of the things I think that does get talked a lot about though is this pressure on mums to get back into shape. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. It's like everywhere. And, um, and so I'm interested to know if you've felt that pressure, how you've dealt with it, but then also how you find that kind of balance of doing it how how do you do it basically to an extent I didn't feel that pressure because of people like Tiff Hall who um who basically showed us uh, on Instagram how she didn't bounce back and that it was okay I knew that eventually hopefully I'd get to that stage where I felt really fit again mm. but then at the same time just after I had my baby um I remember coming home and this neighbour who I'd never met before in my apartment complex saw me like try, like slowly waddling along because, as I said, I had a caesarean and I couldn't walk properly. Mm. And she asked me how far along I was. I was like, I've just had my baby. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, my God. No, but because I guess another thing that people didn't realise is that, again, a lot of people just don't bounce back. I still looked about four or five months pregnant when, mm. after giving birth. And I explained to her that that was, that was the case for some re- women. So that or that made me feel a bit, a little bit shit because at the same time, there's, you do Emily, is Emily Radikowski, I think? Oh, yes, think? Emily Radikowski. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. She also had her baby around the same time. And then there's this Instagram photo of her in her bedroom, totally flat stomach. And I'm like, what the <laughs> Hell, a week after she gave birth. And then for a moment there, I was like, oh, my God, I feel terrible. 
But then I reminded myself, I didn't look like Emily before I had a baby, so I would not be looking like Emily after I had a baby. That's true. And I do think Emily Ratajkowski, by the way, is just a genetic freak of yeah. nature anyway. Not many people look like her. And I, it's, it is hard, you know, these kind of images and stuff like that to see that, right? Yeah, it is. But then I spoke to Emily Sky for my podcast and talking about like pre uh, post-body babies. And we were talking about how like it's about making sure that like Emily's post, Emily Radikowski's post baby body is is normal for her. Mm. My four month looking, the four month pregnant looking body post baby was normal for me. So it's like making sure that we show the different kinds of possibilities out there. Um, that's and so with my own training, I've just been taking it really slowly and building up like I said, making sure that foundation is there and then just slowly building up. And it's also hard too, because I can't get to the gym as much as I'd like to. So my husband and I, we alternate. We used to go to the gym together. We met at boxing. Oh, that's so cool. We used to go to the gym together all the time, but now we can't. So we have organized our routine where I'll go at lunch and he'll go in the evenings or vice versa so that we can both get our training in because for us it's really important. But I'm kind of feeling like I might want to fight again this year, so I'm not (laughs) sure. (laughs) That'll be so cool actually if you get to do that because that'll be a totally different prep then as well like because it'll be post-baby and and then also pre-camp for the fight. So it'll be like a, yeah, it'll be so fascinating to see that journey if you get to do that. Yeah, we'll see. I'm not quite committing to it yet, but I feel that urge. I feel the urge. That's where it starts though. That's where it starts. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things that I do talk to all my guests about is failure and rejection, obviously, Mm. because we all go through these in life and I think, you know, we learn a lot from them. So I know you've spoken about this, but I'm interested to know and hear about it, what your biggest failure or rejection has been and what have you learned from it? Well, the, definitely the MMA fight is one of the biggest ones, <laughs> massively. Um, other ones, oh, I've, I've had many massive failures, by the way. <laughs> I guess the other one was in my 20s, I decided to start my own publication. It's called Corker. It's an indie pop culture uh, publication, really just wanting to support local music, local talent, local artists. So I was working at Clio full-time while doing Corker on the side and put 50K of my own money into it over the years. It, I was great at the creative side, not necessarily the ad sales, and I did have anyone selling that. So I got it got to the stage where I just couldn't do it anymore. And it was around that time and my uncle passed away and I was like, what the hell am I doing with my life? Like, yeah, it's this... Corker was a dream that I had before and was so hard to walk away from it because it was something I considered it that was my baby I told everyone it was my baby and it's so hard knowing when to quit yeah but at that point I realized it was time to close it and I felt like such a failure because it was everyone had supported me it was my dream it was this really cool thing that I wanted to do and I couldn't, I couldn't get it going. What I learned from it, well, I spoke at this, uh, I spoke at this event called FailCon, basically a conference all about failure and told that story about Corker. And one of the guys came up to me afterwards and said, 
just think of it as a real life MBA. It's like you've got now all the experience that you need for business. And it's like, you know what? That's pretty cool. I will take that. So I guess it also reminded me now looking back, I am really quite proud of that gutsy 25-year-old who started who started this media company who wanted to take over the world, didn't quite get there, but everything I learned from that experience, I've been able to use further, further along in my career. So it just goes to show that even if you feel like you failed at the time, there are probably gold nuggets in there that you just don't see, but you will see in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that. And it's so fascinating when you can look back and and go, although what I was trying to achieve or the goal I had in mind at the time didn't quite work out the way that I thought it would, I've taken all these either new skills or lessons or things that I picked up along the journey, people that you've met as well to, yeah. to bring you into this place of where you are now. And I think that's one of the cool things about looking back at failures because you can like when you can look at it like that it's kind of cool in a way now I know one of the things that you really love to kind of explore are life lessons and I do too so I'm very excited (laughs) to to know what your top three life lessons that you've learned so far oh top three okay number one is life lesson is fuck it just do it because fuck it just do it (laughs) I love it Because if you have, like we're talking about that urge and that feeling to try something, when you get yourself out of that comfort zone and do that thing that you're feeling compelled to do, your life expands in so many ways that you don't realize it will at the time. Love it. Life lesson number two, anything that feels really horrible and shit right now will not feel like that forever. Yep. I like that. And life lesson number three, similar to number two is... You're doing way better than you think you're doing right now. I think this is a good. I think this is good to remember for anyone who's really self-critical and apparent. And because our brains are worked in a way where we have that negativity bias, bias. And for some people, it's just like constant. I I am like this when I do work. I'm like, oh, this could be better. This could be better. This could be better. This could be better. And it's never quite perfect in my head. But then I have to remind myself, it's probably it's probably a lot better than you think it is. And yeah. then, and then I look back at stuff that I've done in the past, and I think, you know what? It's, it's actually not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really like that. Yeah, it's 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 probably better than you think. And I think too, we are our own worst critics at times. Like we we look at the stuff that we do, and and also too, like I think having these expectations that we need to do things in a certain time frame as well yeah. like you know having them happen like more I, I guess the the commonality would probably be that we want to achieve things faster or quicker absolutely um, yeah so I really really love those lessons that's so cool now my final question for you is if you had an overarching life philosophy that you try to live your life by aside from these three life lessons that you've <laughs> just given me what would that be a life philosophy I think my life philosophy is to to do what I love and spend my time on those things. So I think it's it's about consciously making sure that like I'm not wasting hours scrolling social media when I could be, I don't know, playing with my baby or boxing or doing something else. It's like I'm just being conscious of where I'm spending my time and putting my efforts into and making sure that it's stuff 
that even if my overly critical brain thinks it's not quite perfect enough, it's things that I love to do. So even like that podcast I did, Holy Shit, I'm Pregnant, I didn't do it for any career reasons. It was because I love podcasting. And I think that doing things you love doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's always easy. It can also be quite hard and it can also be quite uncomfortable at times. But just knowing I'm doing things for those good reasons. Yeah, I really love that. I think we, we all need to remember to do that, I think, just to make sure we make time for the things that that, uh, that we truly love to do purely for the fact of loving to do them rather than to achieve something specifically with it, right? Yeah, and I've had to think about this too, just so when it comes to jobs and choosing one project over another, there are times when I could have taken my career a certain way um, and it would have been a great opportunity to build, say, the podcasting side of my career. But in the end, I kind of realised that maybe the content wasn't quite right for me. So I thought, you know what, I know this is a great opportunity, but I'm going to and continue creating content that I actually quite love and enjoy. And yeah. we'll just see wherever it takes me. And it's taken me here. So Yeah, I know. And this is... This is so exciting because you've just, obviously with your role currently with your editor-in-chief, you've taken over from Jackie Mooney who who was on board for quite a while and and there was some stuff that went on with, with all the, you know, with COVID and whatnot. So this is, it's so cool that, you know, Women's Health is back and up and running and with you heading the team. So I'm, I'm so grateful to have you on the show to be able to chat to you and I feel like we've... I feel like I've learned so much, like just, just these life lessons. I really love them, love them so much. So it's, it's been so cool to, um, to chat with you. So I am, I'm just going to throw it to you to, to let people know where can people find all the amazing things that you're doing, women's health and your stuff, where can they find you on Instagram or websites or whatever? So women's health is womenshealth.com.au. Um, and I, uh, on Insta at Lisa, L-I-Z-Z-A underscore Marie and Instagram is Women's Health AUS. Yay. So we'll make sure we pop all of that in the show notes, guys, so you can follow all the good stuff that Women's Health is putting out and also Lisa's stuff. And we'll, we'll just wait and see if that uh, upcoming boxing fight you know, <laughs> happens. We'll wait for the announcement on your Instagram. Um, so make sure you check it all out, guys. And also her podcast, Holy Shit, I'm Pregnant. Make sure you check that out. And tell us what you loved about this episode. Jump onto Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. And also screenshot this episode, tag us and share it to your IG stories. Thank you again so much, Lisa. And thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time on The Rate active podcast. <laughs>